Hello, everyone. Uh, we'll begin this presentation in about a minute with a quick message from our sponsor, KPA. Once again, we'll start this presentation in about 30 seconds with a quick message from our sponsor. First, I'd like to provide a quick introduction of KPA. With over 30 years of expertise, KPA provides environmental health and safety and HR management software through our software and expert consulting. KPA helps clients identify, remedy, and prevent safety and compliance issues to prevent accidents and injuries, reduce lawsuits, fines, and penalties, improve productivity, and protect your reputation. KPA's solutions help organizations maintain a culture of safety, lower risk for your employees and your businesses, and reduce costs. Learn more at kpa.io. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Building Blocks of Effective Hazard Communication Programs, presented by KPA. This is Alan Ferguson. I'm Associate Editor at Safety and Health Magazine. I'm moderating today's presentation. On behalf of the National Safety Council, we hope that you, your loved ones, and all the people in your lives are remaining safe and healthy wherever they are. We'll start the presentation in a couple minutes, but first there are some housekeeping items. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speaker and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise product or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. This is a pre-recorded event, but any submitted questions will be followed up by our sponsor. To ask a question, click the Q&A button at the bottom of the screen, type your question and click the send button. Please feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. After this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, and I'll tell you more about that a little later. This webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. With that, let's introduce our speaker. With us today is Hunter Taylor, Team Supervisor for KPA South Central District. Hunter joined KPA in 2017 as a risk management consultant and became a team supervisor last year, bringing his expertise in safety and compliance to the role. He was previously a consumer health specialist for the city of Fort Worth, Texas. Hunter has a master's degree in environmental and occupational health sciences from the University of North Texas's Health Sciences Center and a bachelor of science in biology from Howard Payne University in Brownwood, Texas. Again, we thank you all for tuning in this presentation. Hunter, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. So this is kind of the framework that we'll be looking at uh, hazard communication today uh, with our agenda set before us. First, I wanted to discuss the OSHA injury reporting rules. Um, within eight hours uh, of an employee fatality, you're required to report to OSHA. Uh, we recommend reporting to OSHA um, through email or online um, program so that you can have a timestamp of when you have reported to OSHA to show you're, with, you're within that eight hour or 24 hour time period. Uh, and then the three 
criteria for within a 24 hour uh, time period would be an inpatient hospitalization, employee amputation, or an employee loss of eye as a result of a work-related injury. All other injuries um, included on a OSHA 300 log are what you call recordable injuries, um, and that's anything that is be what is considered to be beyond first aid. Wanted to start with some case studies today to kind of open up our discussion of hazard communication uh, to kind of get our mindset uh, or framework set. We'll start with the accident triangle, which was um, brought, uh, brought up in 1930 by H.W. Heinrich. Um, he introduced the accident triangle as a way to explain how industrial accidents happen, starting with re repeat unsafe occurrences or behaviors um, to near miss, leading up to major injuries and ultimately a fatality. So I have two separate uh, case studies here that will help us understand the importance of why uh, we need a proper hazard communication program in place. So first, um, well, labeling chemicals properly is critical to workplace safety. Um, this is highlighted by a recent incident that happened at Oklahoma City's Mecklenburg and Duncan uh, is an illustration of this point. This company manufactures weatherproofing materials, um, adhesives, coatings, tools, floor and carpet trim, metal moldings, and builder's hardware. First, several workers were overcome while mixing a sodium hydroxide chemical solution. The solution began to smoke and made the three workers nauseous. The building was then evacuated and the workers were treated by emergency personnel. The emergency personnel noticed that after being given oxygen, their symptoms seemed to improve. Fire Deputy Chief Mark Woodward later stated that the mixing of mislabeled chemicals caused the situation. Fortunately, none of the workers required hospitalization. Our next case study uh, highlights a dye company worker. Uh, expert witnesses with specialties in human factors, consumer product safety, and forensic chemistry advise on a case involving a worker who unfortunately died as a result of chemical burns caused by mislabeled chemical containers. The decedent was a dye company worker from North Dakota who had decades of experience. He suffered second and third degree burns to more than 65% of his body when he accidentally mixed two chemicals that when combined were combustible. The worker died from his injuries. The defendant had delivered a large tote of one of the, of the chemicals. It was identical to a tote containing another chemical that was delivered that day. Both totes had the same color placard, even though they had always had different color placards to make identification of the contents easier. In a wrongful death action, the worker's family alleges the chemical supplier committed negligence and strict product liability when it delivered chemical containers that were mislabeled or inadequately labeled. Vitally important, I always advise clients when it comes to chemical labeling to never assume that the labeling is correct uh, when received. It's always good to double check um, and make sure and report anything that doesn't look correct when it comes to chemical labeling. So here's a list of the top 10 OSHA citations for 2019. 
um, and hazard communication is right at the top um, at number two. Hazard communication has been um, a top 10 OSHA citation from year to year um, for the last five years. Um, and I believe will continue to be um, a top 10 citation. Currently, fall protection is the OSHA emphasis program. Um, that's really the only reason why I see that it's above hazard communication at this point um, in, regard, in regards to OSHA citations yearly. Next, we're going to hop into the uh, regulations um, related to hazard communication. Um, we'll start with the code, uh, the OSHA law. Uh, 29 CFR 1910-1200 is hazard communication. So this is the uh, hazard communication standard that we'll be, we will be reviewing uh, topics from and um, different portions of it will all be coming from this standard today. Other potential um, regulations that could be used um, by a um, OSHA professional if they were citing a facility, uh, of course, is the general duty clause. They can use the general duty clause um, to categorize um, a, a place of employment that is uh, free of recognized hazards. So we can use that to categorize different types of um, potential injuries um, or weight hazards that could cause injuries. And the last is a federal versus state plan. So there are currently 28 state-run plans um, regarding OSHA standards. Um, for example, New Mexico, it, OSHA has adopted all OSHA standards, but then they incorporate um, unique standards for hazard communications in the industry, in general industry, um, as well as construction and the agricultural industry. So certain states elect to have their own state plans regarding um, different types of regulations in different types of industries. So New Mexico was um, the one highlighted here. This is an overview of the state plans uh, for all states within the United States. Um, the light blue uh, signified on the map here shows states that adopt the federal um, OSHA standards medium blue are states that have an OSHA approved state plan covering the private sector and state and local government workplaces. And then the dark blue states are those that have an OSHA approved plan that cover only the state and local government workplaces. All right, hazard communication um, aligned with the globally harmonized system. Different uh, back in 2014, the hazard communication OSHA's hazard communication standard decided to align with the globally harmonized system, um, which essentially means that OSHA decided to update the standard to align with um, the system that's being used across the world in regards to labeling chemicals. So some of the requirements or improvements uh, that have been made. Um, to that are requirements for chemical manufacturers include that they have to evaluate the hazards of chemicals as well as prepare labels and safety data sheets for any chemicals they manufacture. And then employers that use those chemicals have to also provide labels and safety data sheets on site, as well as and a huge part of that is training their workers on how to 
properly handle those chemicals uh, safely. A little more in depth um, on the major changes to the hazard communication standard. First is the hazard classification. So I'm gonna go through a few definitions here. The definitions of a ha hazard have been changed to provide specific criteria for classification of health and physical hazards, as well as classification and mixtures. Labels, uh, chemical manufacturers and importers will be required to provide a label that includes a harmonized signal word, pictogram, and a hazard statement for each hazard class and category. Precautionary statements must also be provided. Signal words are used to indicate the relative level of severity of the hazard and alert the reader to a potential hazard on the label. There are only two words used as signal words, danger signifying a more severe hazard and warning signifying a less severe hazard. Hazard statements describe the nature of the hazard of a chemical. For example, causes damage to kidneys through prolonged or repeated exposure when absorbed through the skin. Precautionary statements describe recommended measures that should be taken to minimize or prevent adverse effects resulting from exposure to the hazardous chemical or improper storage or handling. Four types of precautionary statements include prevention, response, storage, and disposal. Included an example of a commonly used product uh, within automotive shop, within automotive shops, freight parts cleaner, uh, with the proper labeling, including a harmonized signal word, pictogram, hazard statement, and precautionary statement. So you can see the pictograms here are shown in the middle um, of this label. There's a flammable um, causes harmful health effects to a human as well as irritant. Um, and then the information below that um, includes the other signal word, pictogram, uh, and precautionary statement on the label. All right. Safety data sheets uh, are, will now have a specified 16 section format. Sections one through eight contain general information about the chemical identification, hazards, composition, safe handling practices, and emergency control measures. Sections nine through 11 and 16 contain other technical and scientific information, such as physical and chemical properties, stability and reactivity information, toxicological information, exposure control, and other information, including the date of preparation. Sections 12 through 15, have been added to be consistent with the United Nations globally harmonized system of classification and labeling of chemicals. And OSHA will not enforce the content of these sections because they concern matters handled by other agencies. And then information and training um, is required for employers or requ required to be trained workers by um, December 1st of 2013. Um, that was whenever the standard came out uh, earlier that year uh, on the new uh, updates to um, a safety data sheet. Um, those additional 
sections and some of the changes that happened that we've been reviewing on the previous slide. I'm going to talk about the steps to an effective hazard communication program. Uh, first is to obtain an OSHA's hazard communication standard, become familiar with its provisions, make sure that someone has primary responsibility for coordinating implementation and identify staff for activities, specifically training. Prepare a written plan uh, to indicate how hazard communication will be addressed in your facility and prepare a list of or inventory of all hazardous chemicals in the workplace. Keep labels on shipped containers and label workplace containers where required. Maintain safety data sheets for each hazardous chemical in the workplace and ensure that safety data sheets are readily accessible to employees. Train employees on the hazardous chemicals in their work area before initial assignment and when new hazards are introduced. Training must also include requirements of the standard, hazards of the chemical, appropriate protective measures, and where and how to obtain additional information. And then last, lastly, review your hazard communication program periodically to make sure that it is still working and meeting its objectives. Revise your program as appropriate to address change conditions in the workplace. For example, new chemicals or new hazards. All chemical product containers must be labeled. If a hazardous chemical is not labeled, there is no way to tell what it is and what harm it could do if not handled and used properly. That's why it's so important that chemical products are stored in either the primary container that the product came in or a secondary container that is appropriately labeled. Correct hazard identification, chemical storage and handling through training may help reduce employee exposure or prevent accidents. So the chemical pictured here, um, it's difficult to determine what the chemical is strictly based off the container or even just the color of the chemical. There's a wide range of different chemicals that it could be. Uh, we're not sure if it's hazardous, uh, what type of um, hazard it could pose, whether it could cause an eye injury, skin irritation, um, is it flammable or combustible? That information is all uh, found on a safety data sheet. So breakdown of the primary versus secondary container labels. The primary container is labeled by the manufacturer with the following information. The product and supplier identifier information, which includes the product name and manufacturer address, precautionary statements regarding the chemical, hazard pictograms, a signal word, a hazard statement, and any other supplemental information associated with the product. These will always be in English and give you very comprehensive information on the hazardous chemical product. If a secondary container uh, or a container other than the one provided by the manufacturer is used to store the hazardous chemical, it must also be labeled um, with the following requirements. The product name, precautionary statement, pictograms, a signal word, and a hazard statement. It's best practice to include as much information as possible. Use pre-printed adhesive labels or pre-label secondary containers labels from the supplier. Any secondary container used must be approved for chemical storage. 
pictograms are used on the label of all primary containers. They provide a visual representation of the type of physical health or environmental hazard associated with the chemical product. Let's take a look at what each pictogram represents. Starting in the top left is the pictogram for uh, a chemical that is explosive, uh, may blow up or create an uncontrolled reaction. Next is oxidizer, may cause other materials to ignite and burn faster. Corrosive, can easily damage skin or eyes. Gas under pressure, could explode, rocket, or damage health. Irritant, may cause serious health effects. Flammable, may bust into flames. Environmental toxicity, may kill fish and wildlife. Health hazard, a physical health hazard, severe toxicity, a severe health hazard or poison. I'm gonna talk about the different sections of a safety data sheet. Um, we've included an example of commonly used product uh, brake cleaner uh, from Safety Clean on the right side of the slide here. I'm just gonna talk through the different sections uh, of a safety data sheet. So safety data sheets or SDSs provide comprehensive health and safety information on a hazardous chemical substance. Um, they include starting with identification of the chemical, the name, um, identification of the hazards, as well as the composition and ingredients within um, the chemical, first aid measures, firefighting measures, as well as accidental release, how to properly handle and store the chemical, as well as exposure control and what PPE is required or can be helpful for limiting exposure and then other technical and scientific information. Just threw a lot of information at you on the last slide regarding safety data sheets. I wanted to bring it back in and say these are these four sections, sections one, two, four, and eight um, are the most important to um, understand or be able to identify when it comes to a potential exposure um, of an employee to a chemical um, in the workplace. So first is identification of the product. Uh, what is the name of the um, chemical? What are the hazards related to it? First aid measures, that's gonna talk about your four main routes of exposure uh, when it comes to first aid. So um, eye contact, skin contact, ingestion and inhalation. So different ways that um, somebody can actually um, be exposed to the chemical. And then how do we um, control that exposure um, or use PPE to help protect um, ourselves from that chemical product. All right, the next section we're gonna review um, different uh, chemical storage as well as safety precautions. So chemical storage, um, it's important that hazardous chemical products are stored safely to prevent injury or incident at a facility. So good good uh, list here is, you know, we wanna keep them um, in a designated location, uh, locked if necessary, away from the sun and heat, um, or within certain temperature ranges, depending upon the chemical. You can find that information on a safety data sheet. Um, in a cool, dry, well-ventilated area, um, away from emergency exit doors or stairwells. Uh, really important um, there 
We don't want to have a large amount of flammable or combustible materials um, stored under a stairwell or near an exit door. Um, in a sealed approved primary or secondary container, um, making sure that different chemicals are separated if they're not compatible. Um, so corrosives are known, corrosive chemicals are known to react highly um, with other chemicals. Um, and so storing those separately is important. Stored at the minimum amount necessary. So certain chemicals have um, storage requirements in regards to how much you can store in a certain area. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more in the next few slides, as well as away from ignition sources, uh, important with flammable and corrosive chemicals. And then secondary containment uh, may be required for certain chemicals um, if you have a bulk amount of storage. It's always important to understand the hazardous chemicals you're working with and follow all the safety precautions. Certain categories of hazardous chemicals have very specific safety precautions associated with them as a result of the hazards they present. Let's explore the safety precautions associated with each of these in more detail. The primary physical hazard that flammables and combustibles pose is that they can catch fire or cause an explosion. It's important to understand that it's the vapors around a flammable material that may ignite, not the material itself, and that vapors can travel. Exactly how flammable a material is is represented by the flashpoint. The flashpoint is the lowest temperature at which a substance gives off enough vapors to ignite. For example, gasoline has a flashpoint of negative 35 degrees Fahrenheit. So at negative 35 degrees Fahrenheit or above, gasoline is giving off enough vapor to catch fire if an ignition source is present. Combustible materials have a higher flashpoint than flammables above 100 degrees Fahrenheit, but can just as easy, easily cause a fire or explosion if not used and stored properly. Corrosive hazardous chemicals have the ability to corrode certain metals and may easily burn or destroy body tissue. They can react with incompatible materials to ignite or explode or release toxic fumes and gases. Bleach is a common example of a corrosive hazardous chemical. It can burn the skin, eyes, and the respiratory tract when mixed with ammonia and can create deadly toxic fumes. As a result, when working with corrosives, you should always use them in a well-ventilated area, always wear gloves and eye protection. Corrosive materials are never to be stored in unapproved containers that might corrode or be destroyed and keep them away from other chemicals. In addition, emergency eyewash facilities are required to be, to be accessible in areas where corrosive materials are used. Mixing chemicals, especially corrosives and other substances can result in various negative chemical reactions. The reactions may produce flammable vapors that could explode if ignited, toxic gases that could cause dizziness, nausea, and even blacking out if inhaled, or severe burns if exposed to skin and eyes causing blindness. That's why it's so important not to mix chemicals. 
Because of the extreme pressure inside of a gas cylinder, as well as the hazardous nature of the gas itself, it's important to follow all safety precautions when storing and using compressed gases. Wearing appropriate PPE when using compressed gases can keep you safe in the event of an unexpected release. Also, be sure to keep the valve completely closed when not in use. When finished with the cylinder, purge the line and make sure that the gauge registers zero. As well as um, separating flammable containers, such as acetylene, uh, from containers of oxygen, which can be is viewed as an ignition source uh, when not being used um, or hooked up to a regulator. Many flammable, corrosive, and compressed gases, as well as various other categories of hazards, are, are health hazards or irritants. Irritants tend to have acute health effects, such as itching, rashes, fatting, hives, and narcotic effects. These effects are often reversible. Health hazards, however, tend to have more chronic effects, such as sensitization, carcinogenic or specific organ toxicity that are often irreversible. Explosives um, include pyrotechnic materials as well as um, airbags and seatbelt pretensioners um, as well as aeros aerosol cans. Then specifically airbags and seatbelt pretensioners uh, require uh, DOT training. Uh, to send and receive um, hazardous materials. Environmental toxicity is regulated by the EPA. Uh, it's any chemical that can potentially cause damage to the environment um, or animals within the environment. Uh, these types of chemicals require uh, the employer to complete hazardous waste training um, in order to use and properly dispose of environmentally toxic chemicals. Last, we're just gonna talk through general first aid and personal protective equipment. I mentioned general first aid earlier when we were discussing safety data sheets. Um, here you can see shown on this slide are the four main routes of exposure. So even if you're following all the safety precautions associated with the hazardous chemical, accidents do sometimes happen. Always consult with the safety data sheet, container label, manufacturer or physician when in contact with a chemical and in any serious medical emergency uh, involving a chem chemical, seek medical attention immediately. These, however, are some general guidelines to follow if you are overexposed to hazardous, hazardous chemical to reduce the negative impact it can have on your health. Starting on the left, um, inhalation. The recommendation is to step outside for 15 minutes uh, with fresh air and have someone keep an eye on you. It's also important to ventilate the area that you, you may have been exposed. Eye exposure, flush your eyes for 15 minutes, um, preferably at an eye wash station. Ingestion, consult the safety data sheet, first aid section, section four uh, for that chemical. Um, variety of responses in regards to ingestion of chemicals. Um, sometimes it will say eat absorbent food. Sometimes it will say 
um, drink a lot of water. Um, there are some that, that may um, say induce vomiting. So it's really important to be able to access this information quickly when it comes to an ingestion exposure. Um, another great point of contact with an ingestion exposure um, is gonna be poison control. Skin contact, wash infected area with soap and water um, at a sink. Uh, if the chemical is corrosive, only use water and no soap. But really important there, uh, soap can cause an additional chemical reaction that can actually be much worse off uh, for the person exposed. In order to prevent uh, exposure to a hazardous chemical, always wear appropriate PPE. So shown here um, could be latex or nitrile gloves, um, as well as safety glasses. Um, some chemicals may require you to wear PPE, such as respirator um, or even safety goggles. Um, other PPE that I see um, commonly used within shops, if an employee is using a welder, um, they'll have a face shield. Um, they may have some, typically have some type of um, welding coat. Um, that protects them as well um, when doing that type of work. Additional resources for obtaining information regarding um, hazard communication. OSHA.gov is gonna be your best um, place to obtain information for um, HASCOM. Um, they have different safety and health topics there. Um, as well as short one and two page documents that can be used or even handed out to employees to help increase understanding um, of the hazard communication programs, as well as this, any state plans. Um, you can find links to those um, from the OSHA website as well. Well, thank you so much, Hunter, for this presentation. And before we start the q and I want to remind everyone about the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. Your input is important because it'll help us improve our future webcast. Now we go to Emily Hartman, Marketing Communication Manager at uh, KPA. And we did get a few questions. Um, our first question is, our business is strictly an office environment. Do we really need to worry about our hazard communication plan? Great question. Um, my first uh, question to that would be, what type of chemicals are you using? Um, you know, there are some commonly used um, household products that are considered hazardous. Um, so the main thing is determining whether you have um, hazardous chemicals used on site or not. Um, so I mentioned in the presentation chemicals like bleach um, or ammonia, so common, sometimes common cleaning products um, are hazardous. Um, so they would, you would need um, to have some sort of hazard communication program and safety data sheets for the hazardous chemicals used on site. Okay, um, our next question, a little similar to the last one, um, do you have to have an SDS for something common like Windex or whiteout? Uh, you know, the whole reason that they have um, has communication is, is that all employees, regardless of whether they use that product on a regular basis or not, can understand what the hazards are related to a certain chemical. So 
um, if Whiteout or Windex are, con are considered hazardous, then they would need to have a safety data sheet. That's really the determinant that would, it's gonna detail out what are the hazards related to, to each of those. So, but the, the important part of it is, is that you have the information available to all employees, not just those that may use it on a regular basis. For example, these commonly used in an office environment versus employees that may work outside of the office environment might not be as aware um, of the hazards associated with these chemicals. Okay. And then do you need an SDS for a non-hazardous chemical? According to the law, no. Um, I think it is recommended, you know, if there is a safety data sheet available for a non-hazardous chemical, you know, it's it's nice to have it, but it is not required um, under OSHA law for you to have an SDS for a non-hazardous chemical. All right, thank you everyone. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Hunter Taylor, Emily Hartman, our sponsor KPA, and of course, everyone who joined us today. As a reminder, your questions will be forwarded to today's sponsor. Again, we also hope you take the time to share your feedback through our survey. Take care and be safe.